Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is Call to War 2020 Directive Number 3. And uh, this one's going to be a little different today. We're going to talk about the subject of spiritual warfare from a from a different perspective. We're going to go at it a little bit more as a flanking movement today rather than a direct-on uh, look at the subject. Uh, I'd like to share this with you just for a minute uh, before I get into this. Uh, my training is not theology. I have not studied anybody's theology. The Lord made sure that was going to be the case when he sent me to the Naval Academy with no pastor and no church here and no pastor that took ownership of me. And he left me here alone except for him and my Bible. And I sought him and I made a commitment to him. In fact, this is the way I approached him in prayer. Either you're a liar or you're truly no respecter of persons. And since you put me here in your will without a pastor and without any religious books as my guide except for this Bible, you promised that your spirit would guide me into all truth. And I'm committing to you that I will submit myself to this word and I will study this word and listen to your voice as you explain things to me. And whatever you show me in this book, I will receive as long as you give me truth that cannot be refuted biblically by anybody. And, uh, if you will, I'm not going to apologize for my confidence in the word, but I left there as a 22 year old who had majored in, uh, got a degree in engineering, but majored in the Bible that they didn't give me credit for prepared to discuss scripture, especially doctrine, salvation doctrine and oneness doctrine with anybody, any place, any time no matter what their educational background or position would be, as long as the Bible was going to be the the the, uh, the source of that discussion. I have no interest in the study of church history uh, from a, a, a doctrinal standpoint. I, I have read some church history simply for informational basis. But when Paul and Peter and John and Jesus and Jude and James all warned that even in their lifetime, there were already people that were going away from the truth, I don't give a whole lot of credence to the church fathers of the uh, the second and third and fourth century. Uh, and I don't, and I have not bothered to read them and really could care less what they say because the Bible is what has been brought down to us all these years. And the Bible claims, and I believe that claim that it is the source of truth. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. But again, my educational training is engineering. And the emphasis of my educational training was applied engineering mathematics. Uh, in fact, in all of my schooling, I got my lowest grades in English because I didn't like it. And God, in his uh, <laughs> sense of humor, took what I am best at and made it essentially irrelevant in my life and took that which I'm not good at and made it the tools which I work with every day because words are my tools. And words are my tools because words were his tools. He chose to communicate to us all of the wisdom and the knowledge that he wanted us to have and that he would go, was going to hold us accountable for in his word. And so God chose words as his tools of communication and uh, work, and uh, he has made those my tools, knowing that I would have to completely rely upon him 
to effectively do that. Now, over the years, I have learned that I have some degree of ability to write in flowery oratorical language if I want to. But when I found out that people kept going, huh, what's he saying? I realized I was working against myself and my mission and purpose by making language so complicated and uh, so full of verbiage, uh, uh, meaning extra adverbs and adjectives and all that kind of stuff, that uh, my message wasn't clear or the Lord's message through me wasn't clear. And so I will admit to you, the Lord showed me uh, when I began my study, uh, he gave me the direction to use biblical algebra, which all mathematics came from God. Uh, in fact, the word logos, we translate word, is the root word for logic. And so the title of this message or lesson or directive today is the logic or the logos of, uh, or therefore, the revelation of the concept of spiritual warfare. But we're going to go at this a little bit differently. We're going to go at it a little bit differently. Because my head-on approach with spiritual warfare is all called, all, is just called some to bow up because they're afraid. They won't admit that, but they're afraid. Okay, so let's look at it differently. So there are, I'm not talking to the world. I'm not talking to the denominal world. I am talking to those that believe in the same God I do and the same plan of salvation I do. And if others watch this, I'm not being unkind or exclusive with you. I'm just going to be speaking in language that those that I have been raised with and been a part of all my life will understand that language. And so if you think spiritual warfare is weird, and I have brethren who absolutely think spiritual warfare is weird, and they think I'm weird, and they may be right about the second one, but they're not right about the first one. And so let's look at this from a logical perspective. Biblical algebra is if A equals C and B equals C, then A equals B. That's algebra. And it came from God, and it's biblical algebra. Theoretical mathematics takes mathematical principles and formulas, and instead of using numbers, it uses principles, or in this case, scripture. So if one verse says, that uh, Jesus is Lord, and another verse says the Lord is God, then A equals B, Jesus is God. Irrefutable. That's logic. And to refute that or disagree with that is doing, is illogical. It's against logic. And the Lord wrote his word like that. He wrote his word like that. And as I have said before, before I get into this, the Lord is masterful. He did not have, he did not dictate the word and have the word written so that it would show truth to everybody. The scripture says it is the glory of God to hide a thing. It is the glory of God to reveal a thing. And he has masterfully written his word so that you cannot get truth out of it by an intellectual pursuit alone. Impossible. The Bible is a supernatural book written by a super, super above natural, supernatural God. And it cannot be understood by the natural mind. And the Bible says that. All of that's in there. It says exactly that. And the principles of God cannot be understood by the natural mind. And faith itself, as defined by Scripture, cannot be understood by the natural mind. How do you believe in something that 
Faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. My faith is the evidence, it's the evidential proof of what can't be seen. And my faith is the, is the substance and the Greek word there literally means title deed or deed of ownership of the things hoped for. And again, the Greek word there for hope is not to wish for it. The Greek word for hope is beyond faith. It is confident expectation. So if I have faith, I've got the title deed of what I'm, I've got expectation for. And I have the evidence of what is not seen. And the natural mind goes, huh? What? Because unless the one who covers and uncovers, hides and reveals, is revealing, there's no way they'll understand. Nobody can understand that. So therefore, nobody can take credit for what truth they have and what truth they know. Because Jesus said in several places, that the man Christ Jesus said, Father, I thank thee that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and reveal them unto babe. So let's use those principles. Talk about spiritual warfare here for a little bit. First one, we claim that we believe in a God that we have never seen and cannot see. But we are sure as there. Sure as there. And that is not, we, we've gone beyond that being weird to our natural minds because it's, for those with faith, it's become so normal to them. Even though to the natural mind it's not normal, but to those of us, and I'm talking to those of us of faith, we, we, we worship a God we've never seen and can't see. But we're sure as there. And that's not weird to us. But having to confront and resist the demonic spirit world is weird to us? <sighs> right. Right. So if spiritual warfare is weird to you, you only have a partial revelation of God, of his plan, his purposes in the earth. Oh, I know that statement just cranked some of you right out of the, your minds. I'm very sorry. I don't mean I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for the way you heard it. Because what I said is truth. And if you don't agree with it, call me, email me, text me. Bring me your scriptures. If you want to call me and tell me I don't agree with you, your privilege not going to waste my time talking about your opinion. But if you've got scriptural proof as to why what I'm saying is wrong, you and I can talk for a long time. Because if you know me, or you know someone that knows me, ask them. If When I talk to my friends on the phone or other people on the phone, 99% of the discussion is about God and his word. I don't make buddies of people that don't want to talk word because that's how I fellowship with people, talking word. But the most important thing I do is I talk to a God that's in this room and the same God in this room is right where you are right now. And I believe that. But then I'm not, I'm going to have a problem with the existence of the spirit world and both good and bad spirits and that there's enmity between me and those wrong spirits if I'm on God's side. And that their enmity is not going to ignore me and go away and that the only way I will both survive and thrive and be victorious is by acknowledging they're there and confronting them as the word of God says I should do. Let's go on. 
Okay? We claim, we, those that believe what I believe about the Bible and salvation, we claim that we believe that blood that we've never seen, shed by somebody 2,000 years ago, that we've never seen him either, that that blood can remove all the sins of a human being today, 2,000 years later, no matter what they have done and how bad they have been. And that's not weird to you? So if you somehow accepted that as not being weird, yet you think spiritual warfare is weird, I'm sorry, I am confused. I'm not confused at the word. I'm confused at your logic. Because it's not logic. Next point. For us Pentecost, for us apostolics, okay? We believe that if we dunk somebody under the water for a fraction of a moment and we say words, prescribe biblical words over them, that that somehow is going to help change their eternal destination forever? And we don't think that's weird. We don't think that's strange to our natural minds. We've accepted that as not only the norm, but as the gospel or the way to obey the gospel, one of the parts of it. And yet we think spiritual warfare is weird to us. Really? Really? You see the pattern of inconsistency there is for those who reject spiritual warfare while accepting all this other, oh, it gets better, okay? For those of us with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we believe that by that experience, we can supernaturally speak in a foreign language that we've never studied and cannot speak intellectually. And that someone who speaks that language from their mind would understand what we are saying, even though we don't have a clue ourselves what we are saying. And that's not weird to us. And yet, spiritual warfare is weird to us? Seriously? Seriously. Do you not see the inconsistency of that logic? Do you not see the inconsistency of that position? Do you not see the instability of that position? When it, I got to be honest with you, that this spiritual warfare we're a part of is in the Bible from Genesis chapter three, all the actually chapter one. I can show that to you in there indirectly. Genesis chapter 1 all the way through chapter 20 of Revelation. And I don't hear, have near that much scripture to prove that the, uh, that speaking in tongues is the initial external evidence of the Holy Ghost. And I don't have near that much scripture to prove that water baptism is necessary for salvation and that it must be done in the name of Jesus. I don't have near that much scripture. And neither do you. And yet, we not only accept, but with a straight face and all seriousness, and some of us with great passion, communicate that except a man be born again of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And that such were some of us in the grossest of sins, but we have been washed, we've been sanctified, we've been justified or justified and sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And then on the day of Pentecost, the first day of the church, when the first preacher of the church 
the first preacher of the New Testament preached this message and the crowd was convicted and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And the Peter, the answer that Peter gave, standing there with the eleven, and they, 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 in their silence, they agreed with him, and that we preach that as the plan of salvation. And I, and we don't have near as much scripture to prove that as I can use to prove the conflict between God and Satan, and that that conflict was thrown out of heaven down to earth, and that that conflict was manifested here on earth before man was created and that it will exist until Satan is cast into the lake of fire after the great white throne judgment. And I can prove that in every book of the Bible from beginning to end and that you and I cannot with any reasonable, logical approach to the scripture ignore that conflict and not obey the scriptures as to what our conflict is that is without denying the scripture. You can't take part of the word and reject the rest. God, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And you don't get to pick and choose what part of the word you agree with or you don't agree with, you like or you don't like. We're held accountable by all of the word and that the judgment seat we're all going to be judged by the word so how can you accept a God you can't see (laughs) blood you've never seen baptism in water and talking in a language you've never learned before how can you accept all of that and deny a teaching that is in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and avoid participating in it. Can a person be saved who refuses to obey the gospel? If a person can be saved without obeying the gospel, then the church can survive and thrive while ignoring this conflict and not being involved in it. Oh, let's go on a little farther here. <laughs> we also say that we believe that when we die, we're going to a heaven that we've never seen. We don't really know where it's at. We have no idea what it really is. And we have very little clue as to what we will be doing there forever. And yet those of us with faith are denying all this world and its pleasures and living in fellowship with God to please Him and to be able to go to that place. And we don't think that's weird. That we're taking our whole natural life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to give to this ultimate purpose. To not go to hell and to go fellowship with him in heaven forever. And we know virtually nothing about it. And that's not weird. But spiritual warfare is weird to us. It really makes sense, doesn't it? World War II was a very uh, momentous time in the history of this world. It was truly the first war that essentially included the whole world. And uh, for me personally, World War II changed my entire history. My mom and dad uh, were essentially promised to each other before my dad ever went off to fight World War II. He joined the day after Pearl Harbor as an 18-year-old. And uh, he and my mom uh, had agreed that, that they wanted to get married, but he did not formalize the engagement because he said to her, if for some reason I did not come back, I don't want you held to that promise. 
but uh, he did come home in May of uh, in late April, early or late April of 1945, and they were married within two weeks, first part of May of 45, and I was born nine months and two weeks later. Thank God for the two weeks, right? In February of 46. My dad and mom were raised in the country in northwest Florida, about eight miles apart. Both both of my grandfathers had 40-acre farms that were being given away at some point uh, to help settle that area. And uh, both my parents were raised their entire lives uh, until my dad went to war, until my mother moved to Pensacola during the war to work at, on the Naval Station, Naval Air Station. They were raised there, out in that country. My mother was raised in a, a place where there's a post office and a store and a crossroads with four a four-way stop sign, no light. My dad was raised in a town that has a blinking yellow light as the only red light in it. But they... Because of World War II and my dad spending 39 months in the South Pacific under Admiral Chester Nimitz, he stayed in the Navy and advanced from a seaman recruit all the way up to a full commander in the Navy, which would have been an 05, which was as senior as he could go as a man who worked his way up through the ranks. And uh, he spent 30 years in the Navy. I was born in a Naval hospital. Uh, my birth certificate says NAS Pensacola Hospital. Uh, and <laughs> this is, that's all I knew. And because of that, I was raised in, as a part of the Navy family. And I was raised in the city, not in the country. Everything I know about agriculture, I have read except for one summer where I was at my grandfather Wright's house for two weeks and it was time to pick the cotton. And uh, he had a large family. That's why you had large families, I guess, because it was time to pick the cotton and everybody went to the field to pick the cotton. And he paid me, got one of those long, long, long sacks that you put the cotton bowls in when you pick them off. I'm like 10 years old. That thing is like three times longer than me. And you're walking through those, uh, uh, the, uh, in those, uh, I know what it's called, but in between the rows and you're, you're picking these white cotton balls off and sticking them down in the sack. And then they weigh your sack and pay you according to that. And it's the first time I'd ever been paid for work in my life. And I worked all day and at 10 was about dying because it, my back was killing me after pulling that sack all day and I got paid a dollar and 28 cents for eight hours of cotton picking. And that's my total experience with agriculture. And thank God it was my first and last. And yet I am so thankful for those who love it and those who do all that work to supply the good things we eat. God bless you. <laughs> thank you. But. That's not what I was called to do. I was called to spiritual agriculture. And I'm involved in spiritual agriculture because I'm looking for a spiritual harvest that has been promised for the end of this church age. And I'm believing for it with everything in me. But part of that goal is I'm not going to hell. I'm not going to hell for anybody, for anything. My poor wife, I don't know how she survived me in the beginning. Uh, she did say the other day that the focus I had when we first got married has come back these last couple of months. And uh, thankfully, I haven't focused it on her like I did in the beginning. Because I told her just within a matter of days after we got married, I said, Alice, it's the will of God for us to be married, and I love you. But don't ever make me make a decision between you and God. Because you're not going to like the outcome of that decision. 
because that choice was made a long time ago before I ever found you or you found me or God put us together. And I mean every word of it. And she knew I did. She knew I meant it. And I meant it today after 51 years. Don't put me in a place where I have to choose between her and God. That choice is made. Period. And of course, that's the way I feel about everything else. Don't put me in the place where I have to choose between what you think I ought to do and what God's telling me to do. Because I've made that choice. And even when it appears as though I'm cooperating with what you want me to do, it's because God told me to specifically, even though it was contrary to what he originally told me. Because there's no choice. I'm going to heaven. When There have been times when I knew I messed up and messed up bad. And I approached him this way in prayer. Okay, I know you're about to talk to me. But before you say anything, let's settle this one thing. I'm going to heaven. Whatever you have to say to me, whatever you have to do to me to get me to go to heaven, I'm going to heaven. So, with that understanding, say on. Whatever you got to say, whatever you got to do, it's for the purpose of getting me to heaven and I receive it like that. Even if I don't like it, I'm going to listen to it and obey it. I'm not going to hell. I'm not going to hell. That's a done deal settled. And I can't get myself there. God's the only one who can get me there. And yet, I've never been there. Well, long story. In a dream one time. I won't go into that right now. I have uh, testified about that in other teachings that I've got online. So I won't take that time. But I, I, I don't know where that was. I don't know what the purpose is. Because the only thing we did in that dream was stare up at this light that was so bright that the one who was dwelling in that light, we couldn't see any features or details of his form because the light was so bright. All we saw was an outline of a person. But the, the peace emanating from that was beyond anything I'd ever imagined. And you can't imagine my disappointment when I was told I had to go back. Because I wasn't finished yet. And if that little tiny taste of heaven, even though all we did while I was there was stand and stare straight up at that light and the one dwelling in that light. I'm going to heaven. And yet, I don't think that's weird at all. So therefore, I don't think spiritual warfare which is involved in me being able to go because I have to resist the devil that he would flee with from me so that I don't become a victim or a prisoner of war. And I have to use my spiritual authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy so that nothing by any means will hurt me. And I have to put on my armor of God because I'm in a conflict, whether I ask for it or not, so that I can stand and not just survive, but be saved as I war in prayer, according to Ephesians chapter 6. None of that's weird to me either. It doesn't make sense to me that it's weird to any of you either. I'm sorry. You can try to explain that to me all you want. I have no capability of comprehending it. Finally, those of us who claim that we believe from the Bible that if we are alive at the time, we're going to, at some God-appointed time in the future, suddenly just disappear off the earth up into the sky at a moment's notice with little to no warning and join Jesus in the clouds. And you believe that, and you don't think that's weird, but you believe spiritual warfare is weird? I'm sorry, my friend. You can't have it both ways. Either you reject both of those because they're weird, or you accept both of those because they're supernatural. 
Though neither you nor I have the privilege of choosing one or the other of those. Now, you understand something. I want you to understand something. I'm not appealing to those who have no intention of being a part of this Call to War 2020 effort. I'm not talking to you at all. I'm talking to those that want to be a part, but you've got these doubts down inside that the devil is trying to get you to give credence to. Spiritual warfare is weird. I'm going to participate, but it's weird. No, no. From an eternal perspective, the existence of God, his angels, and Satan and his angels is more real than you and I sitting here because they're eternal and we're not. Oh, our souls are, but our bodies aren't. Because if you and I are saved, this body's not going to heaven like it is. It can't go to heaven without it being changed. For those in the church, we're going to be given a body exactly like the Lord Jesus Christ's body. So I'll say it to you again. God, his angels, and Satan and his angels, fallen angels, are more real then you and I are sitting here right now in these bodily forms we have. I don't know how anybody could reject that. And again, I'm talking to those who want to be a part of this because Satan listens really, really carefully. And when our words give him an opening... Just like he did with Eve, he is masterful at taking advantage of the openings we offer him to defeat us. Eve didn't even know she was in a conflict until she lost. Until she lost. Adam didn't even acknowledge he was in a conflict and that his innocent wife given to him by God, was being used just as much as a tool by the adversary without her knowing it as she repeated the things in her mind as justification for offering Adam that that fruit as those things that were put in her mind by the serpent or the one using the serpent as a cover. This is real. So, <laughs> how can warring against the enemy and his forces to set the lost free so that they can be saved be weird to us? If that's weird, you tell me why God had to put on the flesh of a man and walk on the earth he created among the people that claimed to be his people and was rejected of them and crucified by them in order to provide us a way to be saved. And we don't think that's weird or strange or difficult for the natural mind to accept. But we think spiritual warfare is weird. Really? My friend, I think we need to stop and consider what our real problem is with spiritual warfare. We call it weird and we reject it as far out there so we don't have to confront the real problem. Why? Why do we need to confront the real problem? Because we're, we're being neither honest nor real with somebody. Let someone be yourself, myself. When I try to explain away spiritual warfare that's in the book from Genesis to Revelation, both in principle, in declaration, in examples of it, and in instructions of how to participate in it, All is in that book, Genesis Revelation. And I try to explain that away and reject it. 
I'm doing that because I'm not being honest with myself. And the result of my self-deception is I'm not being honest with God either. So what is the real reason that some of us who have committed to be a part of this spiritual warfare are kind of nervous or the ones who feel the call of God to be a part of it are reluctant to do that? Well, the real reason is we're afraid. And your mind is going to reject this next statement. It's virtually impossible for you not. But if you look at the scripture, the scripture makes it very clear. We're afraid for one reason. We fear the devil and his capabilities to us more than we fear, fear God and believe his promises to us. Facts are facts. There's no extenuating circumstances. There's no middle ground on this. I had a brother I've known a long time call me yesterday. He said, Brother Wright, I, I really would like to participate, but I, I need to talk to you about it to see if it's okay. He began to list all of his physical problems, and the man's got some physical problems. And he began to list all of the negatives going on in his life, and I felt so compassionate for him because he has got some negative circumstances in life. But he said, I want to be a part of this. What do you think? And I said to him, I think I'm talking to one of the one that will prove to be one of the most powerful spiritual warriors in this entire effort. And I could tell I'd shocked him a little bit. And I said, I'll tell you why. Do you believe the Bible? Yes. The Bible says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. And I, Paul said, I glory in my infirmities that the power of God might rest upon me. And you've given me all the reasons, not for why you can't participate, but, all, but, but for all the reasons why you are one of the best candidates for participating. Do what you're able to do because God's going to accept what you can do because he knows the place of weakness he's put you in and the place that you're going to be praying from. And Satan's going to be hurting because of your prayers. And I meant every word of that because I believe every word of that. Because I believe the Bible. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're mighty through God. His weapons work by the spirit, not by the flesh, not by my health, not by my strength, not by my intellect, not by my talents, not by my abilities, not by my educational background, but by my faith, by my submission, by my obedience, by my participation. Yeah. Over the years, from being a young Christian, then a young pastor, to even today, I have people say to me, don't challenge the devil. Don't stir him up. He's going to hurt you. And when I was younger, I wasn't near as kind as I try to be now. I know that's relative, isn't it? <laughs> but I lived... I grew up during the Cold War. And in the Cold War, while there was no fighting, there was much fear. Much fear. Much fear. And so there was constantly peace talks and arms talks and all of that. It was called detente. Henry Kissinger. So we would... Try to find detente with our enemies. But then our intelligence services would come back and say, oh, you know that agreement they made? While we were abiding by it, they were doing the opposite secretly. Yeah. And if you think you can make detente with the devil, and it may seem to you like he's an agreement, 
He's only agreeing to get you to go abide by. We'll leave you alone if you'll leave us alone. He will agree that to that with you all day long. And you'll keep it. Because we want peace and safety more than we want victory. But he'll never keep it. And don't forget his number one weapon or ability or whatever is subtlety. So by the time you realize he hasn't been keeping that agreement, it may be too late. Now, before and even during, but especially before World War II, there were all kind of, uh, oh, what was the word? <laughs> uh, pacifists. Uh, anti-war people. We're not going to war. Well, President Roosevelt felt like we needed to join with our allies. But he didn't go against all of that. But we were attacked in a surprised, unannounced, unprovoked attack on December the 7th, 1941. And that shut every one of those mouths because to do so after that would have been treason. Yeah. And the whole country went to war. So at some point, my friend, don't worry about your friends and relatives that aren't participating in spiritual warfare because this is a war. And if you think it's going to be one in a couple of prayer meetings, it is not. This is a war. And there's going to be battle after battle, victory after victory in battles, but the war will keep going on until the gates themselves are defeated. And we have the harvest God promised, and then the rapture will take place. James chapter 5, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Because the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he received both the early and the latter rain. And we were warned in the next verse that this has to do with the coming of the Lord that is drawing nigh. James 5, 7 and 8. Yeah. So hear me, all you folks that have decided to follow this lunatic and others that are helping to lead this effort that have not yet been named but will be at the appropriate time. And uh, join us in this initial battle. There had to be a David who fought the first giant to get the rest of the army involved. There has to be some Davids in this day and time that's willing to go out against what has been perceived to be a giant and win some victories initially to get everybody else that's saved on board. Not my problem. The only thing I can do, the only thing you can do is obey the call that's been given to us and fight against the enemies that we've been called to fight against and have the faith to win those battles while we know that we have not won the war. And I will tell you something right now. I will be talking about what being fought against feels like, looks like, sounds like, thinks like, etc. I'll be talking about that because it's important to recognize when we're being opposed by the enemy and way too many people have no discernment of what's going on. We blame everything on the natural or luck or misfortune or which is the same thing as saying bad luck. The word misfortune is the same exact synonym of the more slang term Bad luck. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in luck, good or bad. I don't believe in fortune, good or bad. 
I believe in God. I believe he's in control. And I believe there's nothing that happens that he doesn't allow. And everything he allows, he allows for a purpose. And he is allowing the spirit of iniquity that's already at work in the world, the spirit of the Antichrist that's already working to war against his church, to get his church to war back so that he can fulfill his promises. Just like he allowed the princes of this world who were motivated by Satan to crucify Christ where they thought they won a victory, they did not realize that that loss in battle proved to be the turning point of the whole war. So God, in his wisdom, and according to his predetermined plan, just like all that happened to Christ was predetermined in God's will, God didn't do any of it because God can't do evil. He can only allow those who will do evil to have permission to do whatever they will because it serves his purposes in his plan. That's all book. The book is full of that. Stuff right there. It's all book. It's all book. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. It's all book. And so, those that are hearing the voice of the Spirit, those that are being willing to participate, and and, hey, (laughs) I said it yesterday in briefing, and just, excuse me, in uh, uh, directive number two. This isn't the only effort God's got going on in the earth in spiritual warfare. There are people within the United Pentecostal Church and outside of the United Pentecostal Church that are praying spiritual warfare. And this is only one of those efforts. And it's not in competition with any of them. As I said yesterday, there were four different beaches invaded on D-Day. Different armies, different commands over those beaches all under one central authority, but it was a coordinated attack. They each experienced different things on their beach. Some had virtually no resistance, and others, especially America's primary beach, Utah Beach, thousands and thousands and thousands of men died without making it off the, the, the sand. The most casualties of any beach on uh, D-Day. But it was a coordinated effort. And so that's what God's doing. And in the spirit, we're only responsible for our part of that effort. We're not in competition with any other part of the effort. We're not comparing notes with any other part of the effort. As the Lord gives them instruction, they will obey. As the Lord gives this particular effort instructions, we will obey. And if everybody's obeying God, it will be an effort coordinated by God. That's his plan. That's his plan. For anyone who actually believes the Bible and who has made it the final authority in their lives, not believing and participating in biblical spiritual warfare is diametrically opposed to the clear teaching of scriptures on this whole subject. What a mouthful that is. I read it, obviously. So I'm going to read it again. For anyone who actually believes the Bible and who has made it the final authority in their lives, not believing and participating in biblical spiritual warfare, somebody's, under somebody's guidance, uh, as a part of some coordinated effort, uh, is, di- is, di- is diametrically opposed to the clear teaching of the scriptures on this whole subject. Another mouthful statement as I'm winding down here. From its foundational promise, the true church, the one built by Jesus, has been called to participate in the conflict with the gates of hell. And in that founding prophecy, Matthew 16, 18, those who are in that church will war and will war have been promised ultimate victory in Jesus' name. So I'll read that again since I did a poor job of reading it. 
That's why numbers are my forte, not words. From its foundational promise, the true church, the one built by Jesus, has been called to participate in the conflict with the gates of hell. And in that founding prophecy, those who are in that church will war. And there I go again. Those who are in that church and will war have been promised ultimate victory by Jesus in Jesus' name. The implication of the promise from Jesus is those who will not war will not have victory or dominion. No. Now, I will say this to you. In World War II, everybody went to war. Kids would walk around the streets and go through vacant yards and pick up pieces of rubber or glass or metal. And there were collecting points where they could, one of the original recycling efforts, where all that could be reused in making ammunition and other materials for war and weapons and machines of war. Everybody was at war. All the food was rationed. Nobody got more than what their fair share was because so much of that food was being shipped to our troops overseas, millions and millions of guys in arms out of the country fighting for this country. That's God's plan, and he will get the church to that plan in the near future. He will get it there. may not happen in a couple of days. may not happen in a couple of weeks. may not happen in a couple of months. But I assure you that by sometimes next next year at the latest, the whole church is going to be fighting for its survival. And then when it's tired of fighting for survival, it will begin to fight for victory. Until then, those of us who are called to war now, here, we need to war. Now, here, it is impossible to have victory in a war that is never fought. Impossible. I'm going to talk about the more spiritual, scriptural side of this tomorrow. But one more statement. It is neither reasonable, logical, nor scriptural to claim to believe in and participate with the church of the Bible according to Matthew 16, 18, and not believe in and participate with the rest of the promise that brought the church into existence by which the church came into being. It's not consistent. It's not reasonable, not logical, and not scriptural to claim the first part of that verse, that upon this rock I will build my church, and not claim and participate the rest of that verse as being involved in the promise. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray the spirit of revelation and grace from God upon you that we all might become of one mind and one accord with one word and that we would speak the same things and Believe the same thing and go forward together, those of us who are joined together in this conflict. And let me make a couple of quick announcements before I stop today. Again, if you would like to have a version of, or, or a, a PDF version of uh, the Call to War syllabus from 2011 that has over 200 pages of scripture about spiritual warfare, you can have it for free. You can go on apostoliciron.com under downloads and download it there free. You don't have to sign up for anything. Or we've also done this time what we did with the book Missing Half of the Church. You can go on myapw.com and the book is there and you can purchase it there for nothing. The difference is if you purchase it there, for zero, you will have to give your name and email address. If you download it from apostoliciron.com, you do not have to register or anything. You just download it. 
The other thing that's available there is the download of yesterday's notes, which are basically the outline of the coming series that I will be recording on um, the essentials of uh, the essential things to uh, to have to know to win at spiritual warfare. I will say this: it was my intent to start recording today, but as a part of this war. Uh, the brother who is primarily in charge of this media ministry is in the hospital and, uh, he, he's going to be fine, but he's there and he's going to be there a little while longer, at least another night. And so because of that, uh, the other brother who is, has worked with me the longest on this, uh, he's got a very special event happening this week. And, uh, when I understood that, I could not with a clear conscience, ask him to stay the afternoon since he's got to be here at least to help me do this live every day. I couldn't ask him to stay here the rest of the day, every day, the rest of this week when this is such a momentous occasion in his life. Uh, so I will not be recording those sessions this week. My expectation is that I will be able to do the recording of all 32 of those lessons next week. Now, one more thing. I'm announcing again that starting that I am live Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at noon with the next three directives while we're putting together the Zoom, uh, the Zoom directives list. Those that want to be a part of the Zoom directives, when we start doing them that way, you have to send an email to me at CTW, call to war, ctwzoom at, uh, apostoliciron.com and we will add you to that list and you will receive the notifications of the Zoom meetings so you can be a part of those directives. Uh, I'm doing these right now, uh, in, uh, uh, uh live streamed everywhere, running God and everybody, uh, because they are general enough that, uh, I'm not uncomfortable with uh, them being public knowledge. And it's not that what we're going to do in the Zoom meetings are private in the sense that uh, I would be horrified if what was said came out. It's just that we need to be able to communicate in a more closed setting and also to have some degree of interaction rather than looking at a camera lens. I will be looking at faces on a screen which I'm looking forward to. So if you want to be a part of that, as a part of that also, starting at the Lord's instruction, starting next Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Monday through Friday, the Lord said there's too many that don't clearly understand how to do spiritual warfare. So I will be demonstrating spiritual warfare prayer by praying my uh one of the significant portion of my spiritual warfare prayer, uh, at 9 a.m. each day. It will be different each day. It will be a different length of time each day. You're welcome to join or not join. It will be streamed live for anybody that wants to participate, whether they've signed up or not, or anybody that wants a good laugh and your carnal mind doesn't understand spiritual things, then you can watch and have a big time making fun of us. And I understand. No problem. Uh, not my problem. Uh, I won't be seeing you do it. <laughs> so you and the Lord can have fun with, with that. But uh, I'm doing that because the quickest way for people to learn how to pray spiritual warfare prayer is to hear it done and participate with it being done. And then as we do the teaching on it, you will understand why this was prayed this way, why this was done this way, what this was about and all of that. Then you'll come to the understanding of it. That's the way the Lord does it with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He gave us the baptism of the Holy Ghost with us having no clue of being able to understand it, no matter how much somebody explained it to us until after we experienced it. And after we experienced it, then he could explain it to us. And we'd go, oh, oh, that, oh, yeah, I see that. Yeah, 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 right. Okay. So that's the, that's what I've been instructed to do. And uh, so I get to put myself out there again and uh, let everybody in the stands of the arena give their thumbs up and thumbs down. The 
good thing is I can't see your thumb. <laughs> so the Lord bless you. Thank you for taking the time to watch this either live or archived. And uh, I pray that you have been challenged by the word of God, by the spirit of God, to open your mind and your thinking up, not to Chester Wright, nor his ideas or opinions, but to the word of God. I pray that you have opened up your mind, your heart, your soul, your spirit to God, and that you've heard him speaking to you today. And I, I, uh, I commit these things to, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to you, my brothers and sisters and friends, in the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you.